I um, came home from a two-day event with some leaders uh, that some of us in our district were attending and shared the message that I had prepared for maybe two weeks ago for, for the, this morning. And the two of us said, yeah, I don't think this is it. That's not what a pastor wants to hear <laughs> on Friday evening. So yesterday, I just have been really just taken in a different direction and have been surprised by what God has for us this morning because it wasn't what I had planned. So I trust that you'll see too as we'll discover together what is it that God's speaking to us through His Word. You know, God's Word is living and active. And it's incredible to have a word, a timely word, right? A word that's well chosen for the moment. So I'm trusting the Holy Spirit has this word for right now for us. And, um, and I want to just thank you for having me here. I have been in this space. I prayed through it with your pastors. And every time I've been here, I've experienced a warm welcome. It is so good to be able to be here with you all and to see your faces, to hear your worship. One of my favorite memories that we shared together in the six years that I've been here in this area was back in 2019. Do you remember, Josh, the gathering of worship and gratitude in your fellowship hall? It was so incredible. I don't know how many of you, anyone there that, anyone remember that? A couple hands are raised. It was really a powerful time. We gathered around tables together and broke bread and celebrated communion. We spent time sharing ways that we'd experienced God and wanted to express our gratitude and we worshiped together with teams from all of our churches. And that was a powerful moment, just not only our churches, but also people from the community gathering together and to realize all that we have in the Lord and all that we have to be grateful for. So as I come today, one thing I was struck by, Katrina, you and the elder team have worked hard with our overseer, Keith Blank, on your commitment for 2022. And I just want to commend you all for that. We've been enjoying looking over that commitment that you've committed yourselves to. And I love the way it starts, that you say to yourselves, we confess we are a growing church. You know, as I heard that, I thought, when I hear the word growing, I think of health and a healthy church. And the acknowledgement that we haven't arrived, that we are on a journey and you've said very clearly in your commitment, we are a growing church that wants to live and love like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. What a powerful statement to recognize that we are all in process and that, you know, even though we don't have to earn it because we have it free in Christ at His expense, incredible thing is to think about how we now get to, through effort, every day choose to be like Him and to do it together. You know, Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased the Bible in the message, called it a long obedience in the same direction. How many can relate to that? A long obedience in the same direction. It is a long journey, isn't it? And we need the Spirit of God every step of the way. And so, this morning, I was thinking about what you're experiencing. I'm so glad to be here with you, Chad and Tiffany, and with your kids, Clay and Olive, and to be here in this moment when you're welcoming them here because I want to talk to you about surprise and not losing the element of surprise. Does anyone ever, do you ever get weary and kind of jaded to the point where things that should be surprising don't quite catch you the same? You're kind of like, yep, seen that before. The things around you. I have a little puppy that, that Tracy mentioned. You know what? I find out with puppies, there's a lot of things that I overlooked that get her excited, that make me go, how much am I missing all around me? You know, our God is a God of surprises, 
And one thing that happened to us that was this yesterday, a total surprise, was I'd gotten to know Pastor Jan Latshaw of Hemfield Brethren in Christ, now known as Hope Born in Christ Church. Some of you may know it. I think Marietta Running Pumps, kind of in that area. Um, but it's a fellow, it's a church that I've known about, and I met Jan years ago at an event for pastors. But we've really gotten close over the last couple of years. And so God did something surprising between our churches. We don't have any formal connection. They're a Brethren in Christ church. We're a part of LMC. But what was interesting was that about a year ago, we were needing a staff person to handle our communications. And I have been looking unsuccessfully along with others in our church. And Jan had a wonderful mom in his church, Brittany, who was just looking for an opportunity. And she has been such an incredible fit for us. She came aboard last September. Well, after she came, about a couple months later, HBIC lost their family life director, that they were so excited. This, this staff member hung in there through COVID, but after COVID, it was over. They were ready to move on and do something different. So Jan would joke with me and say, Jim, you owe me. You know, I got you, Brittany. Where's mine? And I thought, well, I don't know what I've got for you. We had one intern who was working with our church this last year, a youth ministry student from Messiah, and we were excited to have him, but we knew that our paths were about ready to, to diverge because he wanted a full-time role, and we weren't able to offer that to him when he graduated in May. But here's what happened. Jan and I started talking, and we said, you know, what would happen if we shared this person? You took 50%, and we took 50%, and we could share them and even do youth ministry together between our churches, something that had never been done before. Again, we're talking about churches that have not had a relationship in the past. And what was so powerful is that as we walk through this, let me tell you, the congregation was like, where's the youth minister? When are you going to bring them aboard? It was hard because we couldn't tell them what was going on behind the scenes. We needed to be able to get our leadership teams together. We needed then to test it with the candidate, Griffin Fell, and finally, it all came together in May in a way that I could never imagine. And it was one of those moments of, God, you still surprise me with what you do. And you know, today, I've got a picture here of Chad. And I was so excited because I remember when Katrina shared with our district pastors ago about your bridge team. And I remember hearing about the journey you were on of just saying, you, you know, we don't know where God's going to lead us, but it's going to look really different from what it had been. We don't know what it is yet. And hearing this morning as you prayed over Chad and Tiffany, I just heard you in your waiting, thanking God that he gave you the grace to hang in there, not just leaders, but as a congregation, to wait for God's best and to not rush ahead. Isn't it easy sometimes to create an Ishmael? you know, where we just want to go ahead and say, God, let me help you out there, because it's not on my time. But just to hear this morning of how God brought that together is such an example of our God of surprises and how He's working. Well, the passage I want to read today from or go to is from Acts chapter 15. If you want to go with your Bibles there, to me it's one of the greatest moments of surprise in the history of the church. Because it's here where God welcomes in all those of us who didn't come from a Jewish background. And I would imagine that's many of us, if not most of us, or all of us. God causes the walls between two people groups, Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles, to come tumbling down in order to make a brand new people through His Spirit. And so in Acts 15, 
Acts 15 begins and ends with intense conflict. Luke, the Greek physician who's writing this Acts of the Apostles, is very clear that the conflict that happened here was intense. And here's what happens. If you look in your Bibles, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, some men from Judea, the region surrounding Jerusalem, arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. This was exactly the opposite of what Paul and Barnabas had been teaching these new believers who were non-Jews that they had to go back and adopt the law of Moses and live it out. You know, what was surprising about this is what surprised the people in this story. You know, the men that had come up from Judea weren't surprised by what God was doing by inviting Gentiles into the fold. They were surprised that God would allow this people group to come into the fold without bearing the burdens that they'd been carrying all this time. They said, this is unfair. Think about what we've had to do all these generations to be the people of God. And now you're letting them in without them having to pay that price. What's up with that? You know, this really catches my attention. Because one of the questions I ask as someone who's been around church most of my life is, what surprises me? Do I get surprised by kids running up and down the aisle on a Sunday morning? Right? Do I get surprised by that person that walks out the door and lights up a cigarette? What surprises me? As a recovering Pharisee, too often it's easy to focus on other people and to measure them on my scale of righteousness, which I can always meet, but you can't, you know? And I look at Jesus, and the thing that strikes me is He isn't surprised or shocked by our sin. In John 8, when the woman of adult, caught in adultery is brought to Him, I imagine Him like this, looking into her eyes, seeing her as a person. He's not shocked by her sin. Does He condone it? No. We know at the end, He says, leave your life of sin. But what's incredible is He isn't repulsed by it. Get away. I don't want anything to do with you. What really surprises Jesus in this story is he is shocked, he's astonished by the accusers who have the audacity to look at her and pick up the stone without looking within at their own hearts. That's what's shocking, because the people that are picking up those stones are the ones that are supposed to be living it out. And that's troubling. What surprises us? What surprises you? What are we most shocked by? remember being in a conference with Tony Campolo, and he uttered a cuss word. It was a gimmick. But I remember he said, you're more upset with that cuss word than you are about the kids I just saw in Haiti that can't get food in their tummies. Wow. It made you really think. What are the things that surprises us? Well, Paul and Barnabas were surprised, and they couldn't stop talking. You know, if you look back at the end of chapter 14, you read that they came back and they returned from this first missionary journey. And upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together, mostly non-Jews, and they reported everything that God had done through them. And listen to this, and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. They were so surprised by this. God, what are you doing? 
This is out of the box that they couldn't stop talking about it. We read later on their way to Jerusalem, they continue to talk about it. They stop in Samaria, Phoenicia, where there were very few synagogues, I imagine, and they share the same thing with them. And the predominant feeling that they have in those stories is joy. Surprised by joy. Look what God's doing. This is completely beyond what we would imagine or expect. But God is up to something, and He's in it. I know when we read stories like this that there's a little bit of background that's necessary to understand it, and you may be familiar with this already, but just so we understand the context, that God was surprising His people with His grace, specifically in the area of their differences. See, there was both a spiritual wall, which we read about over in Ephesians chapter 2, a wall of hostility that had grown up between these two peoples, Jews and Gentiles, but there was also a physical wall that divided them. Do you remember it? Remember the story where Jesus cleanses the temple? And in the court of the Gentiles, which you see here on the outside of the wall of the temple, see, the Gentiles couldn't go through that wall into the temple to worship God. They were unclean. They were pagans, even if they were God-fearers. Do you remember what Jesus did? He whip, he makes a whip, right? And he drives out money changers and he drives out people that are selling animals to be sacrificed. And he says this, you've made what was meant to be a house of prayer for the nations into a den of thieves. What was he saying? See, way back in Genesis 12, Abraham is told that his people will be greater than the stars in the sky and they will not only be a blessing and blessed by God, but they will bless people that are far from God, Gentiles. That was God's plan from the beginning, was to see Gentiles brought near. But now they've been pushed out, even of the courts that were theirs outside the temple. You know, I want you to think with me about differences. In my church, we've had some differences. Have you? Yeah, it's been hard. We've had some major political differences, differences about how we view economy, differences about health care, theological differences. And we've seen people walk out the door that literally were back in our church when it was restarting. It's been hard. You know, when I think about our differences, I wonder what we're really willing to get into conflict about. I know fight can seem like a dirty word, but what are we willing to fight for? You know, Paul and Barnabas were willing to go to the mat to make sure that this gospel of grace wasn't adulterated by adding the law to it, the law of Moses. And so they stood up on behalf of Gentiles everywhere, and in Acts 15, 2, we're told that they disagreed so fiercely. It says that they were arguing vehemently, forcefully. See, they raised such ruckus that it blew the roof off, and the apostles and elders 300 miles down in Jerusalem said, you know what, we got to do something about this. Those folks that came up that were teaching opposite to what you and Barnabas were teaching, Paul, well, we need to bring you all together in Jerusalem. We need to have a meeting about this. 
We need to decide what it means for Gentiles to become Christ followers. Do they need to become Jews first? See, for Paul and Barnabas, it was worth having a conflict about this. I wonder for us, what is it that we fight for? I heard this quote this week, and it really struck, struck me as we think about differences between us. It said, the church, is always, the church always looks better when we're fighting for other people's rights rather than our own. Hmm. Are we fighting for our own rights? Someone said that as the church, we are always at an away game now. We don't have home field advantage anymore like we did years ago. Are we fighting for our own rights or for someone else's? This isn't easy, let me tell you. Let me give you an example of where that happened. At the Philadelphia Praise Center in South Philadelphia, a congregation that's predominantly Indonesian-American, of folks that have come from Indonesia because of persecution there, they made a decision some years ago when they heard about an Indonesian-American Muslim community in South Philly that lost temporarily the use of their building. And Aldo Shihan, who's pictured there on the, on the, in the background with glasses and folded hands, made a decision with his leadership team to welcome these Muslims into their building to meet while their building was being repaired. I have to tell you, I had a problem with that. Let me tell you why. I had a problem with it because I found out that when those Muslims were in the meeting place in their building, they covered up the cross. And I thought to myself, that's not something I agree. I thought, are they ashamed of the cross? And I still am struggled with that. Why did they do that? What was that all about? Was being hospitable and gracious, did it go too far? But you know what? Then I heard a little bit more of the backstory that churches like these in Indonesia have been destroyed by Muslim communities. That's the pattern. Now, are there exceptions? Yes, there have been exceptions where Muslims have come along and, and protected churches. But the predominant pattern is destroying them. And so Aldo and PPC, Philadelphia Praise Center, decided that they thought it was worth the risk, despite their differences with these Muslims that were Indonesian Americans like them, to welcome them in temporarily into their space and say, we want you to know we care. We care about you, and we care that you don't have a place to meet right now. I don't know where those relationships have gone and what God's done, but they took a step of faith to go beyond because of the grace of God to do things that not all of us agreed with, but had a lesson for us all of what does it mean to follow Jesus, even when it means someone else's rights or needs. See, God's grace is amazing, not just in our differences, but also in our decision-making. Think about the decisions that you've made, even this past week. Think about the decisions you've made as a church over these past years to get to even this point. I want you to look with me in Acts 15. Just this is the part I wish we had more time for because it's incredible to read about how God works through His people as they gather together to be able to come to a decision about what it means for Gentiles to become Christ followers and part of the church. So very briefly, I'm just going to walk you through what happens here, and I want you to see how God's grace surprises again, even in decision-making. 
So Paul and Barnabas, they come from Antioch of Syria down to Jerusalem, and they begin to share the stories of what God's been doing, about how Gentiles have been welcomed in by God's grace to the body of Christ. And no sooner are they done, we read that there were these other delegates that were really upset, and they repeated what we heard earlier. They stood up, these members from the sect of the Pharisees, and said, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses in verse 5. But then what's interesting is then Paul and Barnabas get back up, and we read that they start telling about what God's been doing among them and even the miracles that have happened as they've been working among the Gentiles. You can see that all the way down further in the passage there in verse 12. And following that, Peter stands up. So I want you to imagine Peter. Do you remember the story when the sheet comes down, when he's on the top of Simon the Tanner's roof, and it's got all this unclean animals that he's told to get up and kill and eat? And God then draws into Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, and he realizes that the Spirit of God is working in their hearts, and they embrace Christ and are baptized and added to the fold. So Peter basically says, you know what? Look what God's done there. Look at how God brought them in. And what I love is that he says here, look back with me at where he says, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke or burden that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. Wow, what a confession. The burden that those guys wanted to put on the believers in Antioch, he says, we couldn't even carry it. And then he ends with this in verse 11. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Wow. I'm so glad in this moment when they made the decision of what was really necessary that they weren't trying to please people, but God. Aren't you? We would not be here today <laughs> if that had not happened. And so what do they do? For the unity of the church, they ask this. Please, Gentile believers, respect, don't offend your Jewish brothers and sisters and their dietary laws. And then, please, take moral purity seriously because it has the potential to divide us. That's all they ask of them. Let me tell you, if you've ever been on an elder team or leadership team, you know such decisions don't happen that easily sometimes, and I'm sure it wasn't easy. Right before COVID, I had someone come up to me about a vote we had taken as a congregation and said, I'm a minority voice, and I don't feel like I was heard. I know that those of us on that team had gone to this person and others to try to hear what was going on, what their concerns with that. We met just nine months ago to talk about it again and still couldn't come to a place of agreement. It's hard to be able to extend grace and to receive grace in those moments of decision-making. But I want to share with you about some friends who had to do that at a church in the Philadelphia area, another Mennonite congregation. See, these friends told us about how they had a registered sex offender come to their congregation who had done his time. He was a returning citizen. He was, as far as they could see, a repentant individual who was trying to work at recovery and being a person who's transformed by the power of God. 
But as the time he came, the church was not ready for this. And the leadership and the families in the church said, no, we're not ready. Our friend said, couldn't you just put together a policy where we at least have some checks and balances in place so we could be a part of our congregation and worship with us? And the church was not there. Now, I know our friends could have written an angry letter and walked away, but instead they said, we weren't going to walk away. We want to stay together. We're not going to judge those who've stayed and who aren't ready, but we are going to gather with others from our congregation with him in a member of a, church, of a church member's home to worship with him. It was a hard decision. This went on for months. And sadly, in the end, this individual walked away, said, I feel like I'm causing a division. I don't think I can do this any longer. But you know, it made me think about in our decisions, are we willing to hear God and go a path that's unpopular without splitting? without withdrawing or disengaging? Is grace that powerful that it can allow us to do that? How many of you like stories that end well? Do you like stories that end well? I love stories. My wife won't even read a book if she knows it's not going to have that ending that's satisfying. <laughs> well, I... Sorry to say this, but the end of the Acts 15 doesn't end so well. It's kind of like this, and we didn't talk after that. <laughs> That's how it ends. Why does Luke include this? I mean, the, the, most of us go away from this passage, and all we can think about, it was good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's what we want. That's like our favorite verse. But here, what happens is he includes this disagreement that is so sharp that they separate from one another. See, Paul wants to go fast, so he wants to go alone at first. I don't need this John Mark around my neck. He abandoned us during our first missionary journey. Barnabas, you knew that. We're going back to help these churches get established, to get their leaders grounded so that they can make disciples. Come on. Barnabas says, no, I want to go farther. And that means going together. It means empowering a leader who has a spotty track record in order to see what God will do through us and in us as we go. You know, I wonder if Luke included this just so that we would continue to be surprised by grace, realizing how hard it is sometimes as God's people to live in it, to extend it. And when I think about difficulties right now, I don't know what your difficulties have been this past week or what you're living through right now, but I know people in our church. We have one who just got hard news about a family member who has a diagnosis that looks terminal. We have someone who's welcomed in someone to their home who's been in and out of prison. Another one that's struggling with a, a young adult child who's making poor choices. And we are faced with difficulties all around us. But I want you to know here that grace happens in those moments. Let me share with you one final story about churches helping churches. Yesterday, we were on our way home from visiting my in-laws and a baby shower, and we called my parents just to see if we got this story right. It was so interesting to hear back in the 90s in their church in Cincinnati what happened there. See, their pastor Steve met another pastor who was going through some financial difficulties 
This young, struggling church had a property out of state that if they could sell, it would take care of all their money problems, but they could not sell that property. Sounds like a joke today, doesn't it, that something like that could happen? But what's interesting is that Steve, who'd never met this pastor, he wasn't in his network, they weren't part of the same crew, he felt for this pastor. And knowing he was a music minister, he said to, Steve said to him, come on over to our church soon. Love for you to share, lead us in worship. And then after he left, Steve got an idea which he ran past his leadership team. He said to them, you know what, I know right now we are outgrowing our building so fast that we're going to need to move somewhere else. We're probably going to have to build. And right now we should be raising money for a capital campaign to be able to build that new building. But I just feel like the next few offerings we just need to collect need to go to this church. And my parents said they'll never forget that morning, sitting there with all the others in their church and a check for $35,000 from those offerings being presented to that pastor. Here they needed something themselves for their own needs. And God said, here's the way you can bless someone else. Now, this doesn't always work this way, but many times it does, I believe. But God met their need too. Do you know that church, Steve's and my parents' church, they went on to not only raise money to build a brand new building, they paid off the mortgage on their old building, which was an $800,000 mortgage. And then they gave that church away, the one that they left, to another church that needed space. This was a church that was all about radical generosity, where grace surprises at every turn. You know, as we hear these stories today, I hope that we don't forget about the ways that God is working right in among us. You know, we're at a point right now as a congregation where you've been surprised, maybe, by what God's done here. But don't lose that element of surprise. Keep looking for where God is showing up for these glimpses of grace and celebrate them. I challenge you this week to do this. To look in the place that you least expect God to work and be surprised. God, what do you want to do in that place right now where I'm saying, you know what, there's no way anything good is coming from that. That, that is done deal. I challenge you to look at that place and say, God, surprise me. God of surprises, show me what you're doing here. And then come back next week and share those stories with one another. Encourage each other's faith by what God is doing among you. You know, one of the things that's powerful as I close here with this little cartoon, you are small. You know, in Zechariah, the prophet says these words, do not despise the day of small things. How many of us are tempted to despise the day of small things? What he was talking about then is God's people had returned from the prom to the promised land after being in exile. And they're building this sad little replica to Solomon's magnificent temple. And people are weeping. It's so sad because they remember the glory of the former temple. But you know what? God is applauding. God is joyful because He sees the beginning of something new happening right in their midst, something that didn't even look like it could happen in the past. So I want you to imagine with me, whether it's differences with someone that you really disagree with, 
Can God surprise you with grace in the midst of that? By causing you to love that person or extend grace to them in a way that you know in yourself, I don't have the capacity to do. How about in your decision making? Where are you and I tempted to do what pleases people, but not God, because that's going to be the high road, and that might not work out so well. I can't control or manage it. What would happen if we trusted God for those decisions and saw what He did? And then finally, with difficulties, when we have a need in hand, God, I need this. Please don't ask me to give this away. And God says, I got something over here, and this was meant for that, but I'll take care of this later. Wow. You're asking me to do that, God? Yes. Because you know what's at stake? What's at stake if we miss that is we miss out on the surprise of what God wants to do that we would never have seen otherwise. And so would you pray with me this week that you and I would have the eyes of faith to look out at our situations as a church and as a people and look for those places where we least expect God's grace to show up and be ready to be surprised. So worship team, come on up. I'm going to close us here in prayer before you lead us in our song, It Is Well With My Soul. God, as I think of the song that we're about to sing by H.O. Spafford, Lord, we know it was sung, it was written out of deep, deep pain, the loss of a family in a shipwreck. And the question, as the father crossed the place where his family had gone down, was, it is, is it well with my soul? Is God still here? Is God still at work? And what a testimony that still echoes today. Lord, as we sing this song, no matter what circumstances we're walking through, we pray that we would be prepared to be surprised by your grace in the places where we least expect it. In Jesus' name, amen.